Baruch Hashem Yahweh and Shabbat Shalom. We are in Ezekiel Scroll 8 this Sabbath. Part 1, Ezekiel Scroll 8. So this is Ezekiel's 8th vision, his 8th vision now, and we find it coming to us in the King James Version in Ezekiel chapter 32, verse 17, and it extends all the way through to chapter 33, verse 20. So it's Ezekiel 32, 17 all the way through to Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 20. And it begins thus, It came to pass also in the twelfth year, on the fifteenth day of the month, that the word of Yahuwah came to me. So we don't know. Right here, we can see the dating system. It came to pass also on the 12th year, on the 15th day of the month. So we know what day of the month it was, but we don't actually know what month it was. In this aspect of the vision, the month obscures us. But we do know it was in the 12th year, and it was in the 15th day. This is his eighth vision that he now imparts to us. Egypt is consigned to the pit. But then the other part of the vision is that we have the watchman. So as I approach this this week, this eighth vision, seeing Egypt consigned to the pit and then the duty of a watchman I am just a byproduct of my experiences as a man walking in this world in the faith. And I had a week, so I think I may go a little off kilter today, but I believe that I can tie it in in real world experience with Egypt being consigned to the pit and being a watchman. Because this word to me and to you as students of the word, it is real, it is alive, it is sharper than a two-edged sword, and it speaks into our lives and to others' lives today. You can't change anybody or anything except by the word of Yahuwah, which can actually separate man from his spirit and his natural carnal self. Even the word of Yahuwah actually affects the blood and DNA. Because it says that it can go down and divide even into the bone. And into the bone is where the marrow is made, which is where the blood. So the word of Yahuwah is so powerful that it can actually separate man. And sometimes man needs to be separated from his natural carnal self and the world around for there to be transformation. All that to say this. I've been to one funeral and one baby dedication this week. One funeral at the beginning of the week and one baby dedication last night. And that journey, and that journey in just a few short days from the depths of despair 
where I started the beginning of the week amidst a congregation in despair and mourning to then coming into the Sabbath and coming to the excellency of Yahuwah in his majesty to the soaring heights of hope in the congregation of the joyous really impacted me. Going from despair to the heights of hope in this next generation of faith really impacted me. Why? Why, Yahuwah, do I get to experience this in such an intimate way? Because Yahuwah's desire for our lives here on this earth, I understand, is not the pursuit of happiness, but the pursuit of meaning. I wasn't pursuing happiness this week, but I was pursuing meaning of being in the midst of a congregation in despair to being in the midst of a congregation in hope, expressing the joy of faith and family. What is the meaning? How, why do I get to experience this? Because I find that now, as I go into this eighth vision, this eighth scroll, Ezekiel has a message for us today about Egypt and the depths they went to, and also that we, all of us in community, need to be watchmen. Because for us to truly attain meaning in our life, we've got to stop seeking a life of happiness. What do I mean by all that? Because if we find meaning, we'll find the value and see the value of suffering and our responsibility to something greater than the self. Our service to him. Our service to him. This biblical reality is at odds with our culture. We have to understand that. Because our culture is more interested in the pursuit of individual happiness than in the search for meaning in the situations that you and I find ourselves in. I wasn't looking for happiness this week. But I was pursuing meaning in my life. Why I'm in the midst of a congregation of mourning and despair with no hope to going and being in a congregation of extreme expectation of hope. What is the meaning to all of this? You see, the problem with happiness is that when you really break it down, Happiness cannot be pursued. Happiness cannot be pursued. Happiness must ensue. Think about that. Happiness cannot be pursued. Happiness must ensue. You and I have to have a reason to be happy. You can't just pursue happiness. Happiness must 
ensue. Happiness without meaning brings about a shallow, self-absorbed or even selfish life in which, yeah, things go well. Sure, things are going well. Sure, needs and desires maybe are easily met this week. Sure, sure. Maybe even difficult entanglements are avoided. Yeah, maybe. But that's not the life of the saint. That's the life of the sinner. That's what the sinner pursues. We're not to pursue that. At the beginning of the week, I found meaning even in the most dreadful of circumstances. I did. And finding meaning in those moments made me, listen, finding meaning in those moments made me even more resilient to suffering than those around me who found none. So you, by you finding meaning in your life, will make you more resilient to suffering than those around you that find no meaning. Yahuwah wants us to find meaning in all things to make us resilient so that we can be the watchman that can endure suffering in these last days and lead many to glory. This is the message of the watchman. Everything can be taken from man. Everything. But one thing, but one thing, man's search for meaning, man's pursuit of Yahuwah cannot be taken from him. Meaning, what's the meaning of life? In our text, the last of Judah's freedoms as the walls of the city crumbled was to choose their attitude in their given set of circumstances as Nebuchadnezzar encroached upon the city. They were going to choose their way, one of meaning or one of happiness. They weren't going to find happiness on their way to Babylon, but if they chose meaning on their way to, happen, on their way to Babylon, then they would be able to endure the suffering that they were afflicted. But somebody who is trying to pursue happiness in their life, they can never endure the trials and sufferings that come by. Cast out happiness and pursue meaning. I am learning this. I haven't got it figured out. But this text this week, it impacted me. When you and I choose meaning, then life is still expecting something from us. Something in the future is expected of you. Something of, in the future is expected of me when I choose meaning in my life. When you and I become conscious of the responsibility we bear toward a human being who affectionately awaits for us in the future. There are human beings out there that are affectionately waiting to meet you in the future. It's happened to me. 
The only reason I'm standing here as a believer is because somebody pursued meaning in their life instead of happiness and they were waiting for me to meet them so that they could give me the gospel message. There are millions of people out there that are expectedly waiting for you to meet them in the future. That is what the Father has for us. And there's also a bunch of unfinished work for me and an unfinished work for you that is waiting for you to complete it. And it's in the future because Yahuwah is beyond time. That's our reality in this dimensional world that we live in, but he is outside of space and time. So when you and I become conscious of the responsibility we bear toward a human being who affectionately waits for us in the future or an unfinished work, then, when, then, then we'll never be able to throw our life away and the opportunities that it always presents to us. Everything that happens is an opportunity. Everything. But if you're looking for happiness in the stuff that happens to you, then you have a secular worldview. You will be depressed, defeated, isolated, and down in spirit. Because sometimes... As believers, we know the majority, I dare say, of times Yahweh works in our life. It's not to try and bring about happiness. And oftentimes you'd be like, why did I have to go? Because he was trying to get you to see the meaning in it. And he didn't even consider about your happiness in the situation he wanted to bring meaning into your life and if that meant discomfort a little suffering but to for you to pursue meaning which means pursuing him then it's worth it to the father who is above all things when we know the why I am actually going to tie this in with the book of Ezekiel in case you're, what what is he going off about? But seriously, think about these words. This is powerful stuff. When we know the why for our existence, then we'll be able to bear almost any how. When we know the why to our existence, then we'll be able to bear almost any how. Because Yahweh works in the house that is beyond us. Because we see through a glass dimly. And oftentimes, it's the how is a road of suffering. But through that, will bring meaning to our life. You look at your relatives sometimes. Sometimes you'll look at your family. And you'll be like, how? But Why? Meaning, meaning, when bad things happen that may bring unhappiness with them, if you and I understand the foundational biblical principle of why, then you and I will be able to bear almost any how. Because Yahweh often performs his great work in a manner that does not always bring about your and mine happiness, right? That's the truth. 
We don't often like how Yahweh brings about meaning in our lives. In fact, it's wasted on us if we're simply pursuing happiness. It's wasted on you. You're this deep. If you're just pursuing happiness, you'll miss the meaning of why. Right? It came to pass in the twelfth year, on the fifteenth day of the month, that the word of Yahweh came to me, saying, Ben-Adam, son of man, wail for the multitudes of Egypt and cast them down. Cast them down, even her, the daughters of the famous nations, to the depths of the earth, and them that go down into the pit. Whom do you surpass in beauty? Go down and be placed with the uncircumcised. They shall fall in the midst of them that are slain by the sword. She is delivered to the sword. Draw her and all her multitudes. The strong among the mighty shall speak to them out of the midst of Sheol, the grave. And them that help them, they are gone down. Where are they? They are gone down. They lie with the uncircumcised, slain by the sword. So like I said, my week began in the midst of the congregation of mourning around a multitude of non-believers with no hope. The depths of despair. And yet my Sabbath opened up in celebration of hope. Bigger than me. Bigger than you. Huge. Really moved me. And still to this time. Because all week I was searching for meaning. And he revealed the meaning to me in the small, small hours. Not the pursuit of happiness, but the pursuit of meaning. Which ties me all the way back into this visionary text. Which begins with going down into the depths of the earth. And also being a watchman. One of our biggest obstacles, I would say our biggest obstacle as human beings to attaining and living the true meaning that Yahweh has and pursuing that meaning in each of our lives is our fear of death. So if we can embrace the truth and the truth will set you free and what is truth? Well, Truth stood right before Pilate. Yahushua is truth. It's not abstract. It is in the person who sits at the right hand of the Father interceding for us to come into meaning and truth in our life. For us to truly, and this is what I want out of everything that we listen to today, is that I want you and I to be set free from the lies and the traditions of men when it comes to death, burial, and resurrection. Because I cannot personally tolerate sitting in the midst of the morning, in the midst of a congregation in despair, 
with lies going out about cherubs and the one that is dead looking down from us with a conscious mind and praying for us from heaven. Because what I saw was not that people needed lies and false platitudes. They needed to have meaning in their life. Because all of the lies about heaven and Uncle Joe is looking down on you and he's praying for you now is not going to bring these people happiness. That's the only thing they're pursuing. And it escapes them, and any words that are false will never bring happiness. But words of truth will bring you meaning to your life and set you free from the lies and deception. The King Jimmy has been a great instrument for many, many generations. But also translators have monked with the text. We're going to unravel the deception today because one of the biggest obstacles to attaining the why, meaning in life, is accepting the how. So what are we going to be talking about today? How things will really go down in death. What really happens when you die? Because if we can become comfortable and find meaning in death, then we can be set free to truly have meaning in our life because then we will operate without any fear, no matter whether you're 90, no matter whether you are stricken with disease, with a brain tumor like we saw um, McCain just was facing that as an unbeliever. But we will have the tools to be powerhouses of the faith in spite of anything in our lives, even happiness being absent. That's what I want for us. That's what the Father wants for us. How will things really go down in death? Accepting the truth in this will jet propel you and I to the fast track, which is assuring that we have meaning in life Even when you're unhappy and miserable, you will know that you have a meaning and a purpose in your life. The why to your being here. Why are you here? Why are you here right now in your present situation? Why? Even though you're not happy, you thought that your life would bear more fruit than it has. Why? Let's find meaning in everything because with the security of the how, you'll obtain everlasting life there that's what we all are seeking for so that's a long-winded way to get to the title of this week's message death and the afterlife let's look at seven things number one look at our text cast them down the hebrew word there is yarad Yod Resh Dalit. It means to cast down to a lower region to pass a boundary. So when you die, you actually pass a boundary. There's no coming back except, except through resurrection. There's no coming back. Once you pass the boundary, There is no coming back except through resurrection. Number two, 
Look at our text. To the depths of the earth. Where do the dead go? To the depths of the earth. To the grave, or in the Hebrew, Sheol. Number three, them that go down to the pit or down to the well or down to the cistern within the earth, it is in fact a holding tank. That's what a cistern is, isn't it? It's a holding tank until the time of the drawing up. What's the drawing up? Resurrection. Okay, It's concrete in the Hebrew language. Number four, destination downward. You die, destination is downward. You're going down into the pit. Number five, out of the midst of Sheol or Hades, the world of the dead, where are the dead going? They're going off on a retreat, a subterranean retreat. That's where the dead are going. Off to a subterranean retreat. Number six, they are gone down, destination again, downward. Destination is not upward, is it? Destination of the dead is not upward, it is downward. And number seven, they lie with the uncircumcised. Now, uncircumcised is a metaphor for the unrighteous. So what does that tell us? The unrighteous and the righteous go to where? The same place. The unrighteous and the righteous go to the same place, which is destination downwards. They're all going to a subterranean retreat. Let's be clear on that. Death and the afterlife. Because Ezekiel the prophet here describes the descent of Egypt into the underworld. The proud empire becomes just one more among the many states that protected her. Assyria, Elam, Meshach, Tubal, Edom, Sidon, and the princes of the north. Destination downward. Let's look what Job says about this subject. Job chapter 27 verse 3. All the while my breath is in me, the Ruach, the spirit of Elohim, is in my nostrils. What does that mean? A loss of breath and a loss of spirit means what? A loss of life. It's pretty succinct. Job 33 verse 4. The spirit of Elohim hath made me and the breath of the Almighty has given me life. What does that mean? It's an equation. Spirit plus breath of Yahuwah equals life. I love Bible math. It's the only math that I actually understand. (laughs) That's why we have a calendar club. Because you do not want Matthew doing the calendar calculations. That's why we have got a great group of people, the Canadians up there, that do it for us. The Canadians' math is way better than the Americans' math. Just saying, okay? I think that's actually a fact. We could Google it. Not that Google tells us the truth, right? Anyway, Job chapter 33, verse 14. 
If he set his heart upon man, if he gather unto himself his spirit and his breath, all flesh shall perish together and man shall turn again unto the dust. What is that saying? Job 34 verse 14. Yahweh gathering his spirit and breath back from you means that your body, your flesh will perish. If Yahweh takes his spirit and your breath from you, you're going to collapse and you're going to die. And where will you go? Your body will return from whence it came. The dust. Ecclesiastes 9 verse 5. For the living know that they shall die. (laughs) We do, don't we? But the dead know not anything. Neither have they any more a reward, for the memory of them is actually forgotten. This is not a popular verse in funerals. They were not talking about this on the beginning of the week, which set me on this path of trying to find meaning in my present circumstances. We know it's very apparent that death awaits us. But once we die, we have no memory, nothing. The equation is dead means dead. (laughs) Pretty simple. But don't be afraid and don't give up hope because there is a great hope in this message. But it's not a fairy tale. Let's put our hope in the word of Yahweh that is alive, that is truth, not in fairy tales and fables. Because people can say that they are of faith, but right back here somewhere, they don't want to die. They're scared of it. Uh, Even though you've got great faith. This is going to recalibrate us all to actually finding meaning, even when we actually may be on our deathbed. We'll find meaning even there. And that is what the Father wants. Because you can even impact that person that has been awaiting you for their whole life right at that moment. And gain a crown that will last you for eternity. Psalm 146, verse 4. His breath goes forth, he returneth to his earth. In that very day, his thoughts perish. So the biblical equation is, death equals a cessation of thought, a cessation of consciousness. Psalm 6, verse 5. For in death there is no remembrance of thee. In the grave, who shall give thee thanks? No flying around with angels. No cherubs with harps. No giving thanks. No. Psalm 115 verse 17. The dead praise not Yahweh, neither any that go down into silence. Meaning the dead aren't singing with the angels. Not even Aretha Franklin is singing with the angels as much as maybe some of those angels would like. I'm wondering if those would be fallen angels. We shall see, right? Isaiah 38 verse 18. For the grave cannot praise thee, death cannot celebrate thee, they that go down into the pit cannot hope for thy truth. Death seals one's destiny. Listen, death 
seals one's destiny. There is no hope, excuse me, there is no hope of pursuing truth if you didn't pursue it while you were alive. You have to pursue meaning now. Don't try and pursue meaning then because you can't. Your destiny is set the moment the breath of life is taken from you. That, if you're not pursuing Yahweh and you're not pursuing meaning, that to me, can you even imagine the terror of knowing that there's nothing you can do to change your destiny? That to me would be the terror above all terrors. We have to pursue life now, and life is only found in Yahuwah. Ecclesiastes 9.10 Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with all thy might. For there is no work, no device, no knowledge, nor wisdom that's going to be found in the grave. Whether thou goest, you will not find it there. Today, today as it says in Hebrews, today is the day of salvation. Today is. Today is the day to find meaning in your life and pursue the meaning that Yahweh has for you with all of your might. Don't pursue happiness. Pursue meaning. Pursue meaning even in unhappy events. Because when you do that, you'll end up in the congregation of the righteous and you'll end up with joy. I got to experience that this week. I dare say, because I know the Father and I know how he works, and so do you that are pursuing meaning in your life. I dare say, if I was pursuing happiness this week, I would have never ended up in the congregation of the righteous experiencing joy. But because I started out by pursuing meaning, it actually brought even more meaning to the joy. That, that's where the Father wants us to be. Because that is a place where he can mold and shape our every moment. Our every moment. Job chapter 9 or chapter 7 verse 9. As the cloud is consumed and vanisheth away... So he that goeth down to the grave shall come up no more. He shall return no more to his house. Listen. He shall return no more to his house, neither shall his place know him any more. So regardless what Stephen King says, There's no such thing as ghosts and haunted houses, okay? Doesn't matter about the poltergeist movies and Stephen King and all of that nonsense. The dead don't come back to haunt houses. Look what the Bible says. He shall return no more to his house. That's pretty clear. Neither shall his place know him anymore. So that old codger who lived in that old derelict mansion in that little podunk town that you live in, in the middle of Ohio or wherever you are, he's not haunting that house. 
You can buy it at a reduced price because everybody's scared. Because, well, actually, it might be something worse than that. It could be a cult activity and demons. But the dead are dead. They don't come back to haunt houses. But disembodied spirits, like we examined a few weeks ago, satanic devils, they like to do what? Inhabit houses. Because we know in the New Testament that the Ruach HaKodesh, Yahweh shows us through the Spirit, that yes, you've got to clean the house, but you've got to make sure you do a good job. Otherwise, seven more of those demons are come back in the house. So here's the reality. When the dead die, they don't come back and haunt the houses they once used to live in. But if there's been a cult or satanic activity, it can open up portals to the Nephilim, the fallen ones, to come and cause all kinds of mayhem. And that's why you've got to walk under the power of the anointing. So let's continue on. Now, there's no such thing as an immortal soul. There's no such thing as dying and going to heaven and bypassing the resurrection. There is no such thing as an immortal soul. An immortal soul would die, bypass the resurrection, and now that soul is in heaven. That is the King James or traditional evangelical perception of death. And it's not true. There is no such thing as an immortal soul. There is no such thing as dying and going to heaven and bypassing the resurrection. There's only one way you get into heaven, and that is through the resurrection. And has the resurrection happened yet? Has the resurrection of the dead happened yet? And those that are, are resurrected, it tells you in First Thessalonians or Second Thessalonians, it says what? That those that are dead shall be raised first and then those remain will then be caught up with them. There's an order to the resurrection and it hasn't happened yet. Israel, ancient Israel, they knew the place of the dead wasn't heaven. How come we go to funerals and people today think the place of the dead is heaven? I don't understand it. Genesis chapter 37 verse 34 And Jacob rent his garments and put sackcloth upon his loins, and he mourned for his son many days. And all his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him. But he refused to be comforted. And he said, for I will go down to Sheol, Sheen Aleph Lamed. He didn't say, well, I'm going to go up to heaven because that's where my son is. No, he said, I'll go down, downward, destination downward, to the subterranean retreat where my son is, in mourning, and his father wept for him. So ancient biblical Israel had no misconceptions about where you went when you died. It's our pagan world we live in, which is a bunch of fairy tales and myths that gets us to believe this nonsense. And it breeds hope and despair and gives you no meaning in your life because you're trying to pursue happiness even at a funeral. Pursue meaning at the funeral by accepting truth and you'll actually end up not in the congregation of mourners, you'll end up in another congregation of joy because you have hope in the next generation. That's some powerful stuff. 
Hades is the sphere of inmates. Hades, the grave, the sphere of inmates. Grave, hell, the pit. We have how many lives? We have one life. Make it count. We have one life. Get used to the reality that we are inmates. Just accept it now. Get used to the reality that we are inmates, prisoners in chains. Accept it. You can choose freedom from chains if you want in this life. I don't want that. But you can choose that if you want. Pursue happiness. Pursue happiness and you will escape the chains in this life. You will. That's why people pursue happiness. But you will suffer eternal chains of bondage. Or you can pursue meaning in this life and place yourself in chains for Messiah and you will escape chains in eternity and live with the Messiah. It's a juxtaposition, isn't it? But either way, it's when you accept your chains. I would rather accept my chains now and pursue meaning than rather be unshackled now and pursue happiness, but then later be shackled. Does that make sense to you? There's going to be a shackling. And it all depends on whether you pursue meaning or happiness and what you accept now. Accept chains now and pursue meaning and you'll escape chains later. Reject chains now and pursue happiness and you expect chains later. That's a little bit of a word puzzle for you. But anyway, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 20, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Paul found meaning even though he was unhappy. He found meaning in all things because he understood that he was an ambassador in chains. Therefore, he found meaning even in unhappy circumstances. Immortality comes when? At death? No. Immortality comes at the resurrection, not before. The only, listen, the only way anyone ascends out of the grave is at the resurrection. And that has not happened yet. Job chapter 4 verse 7. Shall mortal man be more just than Elohim? Shall a man be more pure than his maker? Who do we think we are? With all these fairy tales and fables of going to... Are we more than our maker? Heaven forbid. 2 Corinthians 4.11 For we which live are always delivered unto death for Yahushua's sake, that the life also of Yahushua might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. In our mortal flesh. Hebrews 9 verse 27. And it is appointed unto men once to die, and then after this, the judgment. There's an equation here. Dust plus spirit equals life. Dust minus spirit equals death. And there is no post-mortem evangelism. There is no post-mortem evangelism. Let's be very clear on that. Hebrews 9 verse 27. 
brings that clarity. Ecclesiastics 12 verse 7. Then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit shall return unto Yahuwah who gave it. Psalm 104 verse 29. Thou hidest thy face, they are troubled. Thou takest away their breath, they die and return to their dust. So now are you ready? Are you ready for the how so you can be assured of your why? Why are you here? What is the purpose and meaning of your life? A resurrection is required to attain immortality, not a death. It's a resurrection that's required to attain immortality. See, the world tells you when you die, you gain immortality. No, you don't. That's a lie from the pit. You gain immortality through resurrection, not through a death, not through a death. Doesn't death does not bring about immortality. Resurrection alone does. Yahushua didn't conquer death by his death. Okay? He didn't conquer death because he died. And you aren't going to conquer death just because you die. He conquered death by his resurrection. And the way that you will conquer death unto eternal life in Yahushua is through the resurrection that he brings. Now, when I was a boy in England, often in England... um, Geographically, the way towns and villages, especially in southern England where I grew up, market towns, you'd have um, the village green in the middle with your, your school. Your little school would be there, usually an elementary school, and with a cricket pitch, okay? And then there would be a church, and then all the houses would build, be built around it. And it's still that way. You see it all over, especially southern England. You've got your big village green, your little elementary school, and you've got your local church, and then all the houses around it. And some of these churches are, you know, near a thousand years old. So when I was a little boy at elementary school, one of the little things that they'd have us do would be to go over to the church and take um, stencil paper and we'd stencil off of the gravestones. And as a little kid, it was like super exciting going around and not wanting to step on the bodies, you know, over there and you'd find the most elaborate gravestone and, and, and you'd make these stencils. I remember it so clearly when I was a little boy going around the old graveyard, which was right in the little village that I lived up. And these would, like I say, these would be very, very, very old. And I would never, believe me, I never, ever, 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 ever found an epitaph on a tombstone about the dead looking down from heaven. Never. But stencil after stencil after stencil after stencil. Do you know what I found? R-I-P. Rip. Rest in peace. Rest in peace. Rest in... Five, six, seven, eight hundred years old. They were very... They knew where they went when they died. They were resting in peace, in the grave. 
But nowadays, especially over here in America, you can go and look on these tombstones and, oh, you know, it's all about heaven and glory and looking down on you. And No. The ancient people knew where they went when they died. To the grave. We would find the epitaph, rest in peace. Utterly and without exception in the little graveyards that I used to visit. Job chapter 3 verse 13. For now should I have lain still and been quiet. I should have slept. Then had I been at rest. Rest in peace. Job 3 verse 17. There the wicked cease from troubling and there the weary be at rest. When do we obtain the resurrection? Job 14.12 So man lieth down and riseth not till, when? Till the heavens be no more, they shall not awake nor be raised out of their sleep. Sleep is consistently used in the Bible as an image for death. In the Hebrew, we find the Hebrew word yashan, yashan, and it means sleep. And it's figurative of, of dying. But in the Greek, you find kumoa, kumoa, and it means sleep to be dead. You found, find it in Daniel chapter 12, verse 2, Psalm 13, verse 3, and 1 Corinthians 11 and 15. So when we die, we don't go anywhere conscious as alive. We're at rest. Truly at rest until the resurrection. Hence the epitaph, rest in peace. Because resurrection, by definition, by definition, means bringing the dead back from life. Doesn't it? That's what it actually means. Look at Matthew chapter 27 and verse 52. Matthew 27 verse 52. And the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints which slept, a metaphor for death, arose. And they came out of the graves after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many. Now, just think about it, because this puts the fable of the fairyland to rest. The Bible doesn't say that these saints had gone to heaven when they died and they had to come back down and re-inhabit their bodies again before they rose. I mean, that would be a real bummer, wouldn't it? Think about it. You're in heaven and now you've got to come back down and re-inhabit your stinking carcass just for a little bit. Yahweh wouldn't do that to you. No, they came up out of the grave. They didn't come back down from heaven. The Bible doesn't say that. It would be a real letdown, wouldn't it? Oh, come on, do I have to go back down there? Really? No. Instead, they experience resurrection from the grave. Matthew 27, verse 52. Listen, any doctrine, this is going to offend some people, but any doctrine, I mean any, any doctrine that teaches that man does not completely perish and die, but somehow remains alive in a conscious state, whether it be in heaven or hell or whatever, it's false. It's a doctrine of demons. 
It's a doctrine of demons. Reincarnation, doctrine of demons. Purgatory, doctrine of demons. Oh, they're off at a better place looking down at us. Doctrine of demons. It's all lies. All failing to grasp the meaning of life because they've bought into the lies of death. Don't buy into the lies of death from a dead culture, from dead works. It's a deadly disgrace. Because there is one. Now there is one. There is one who teaches ascending to heaven without going to the grave to await Yahushua. Yep, there is one who teaches that you can ascend to heaven bypassing the grave and bypassing Yahushua. And who, who would that be? Isaiah 14, verse 13. Remember, Yahushua destroyed him who had the power over you. He destroyed him who is trying to deceive you about death, who's trying to hide from you the resurrection power whilst telling you that you can endure and arise into the heavens. Isaiah 14 verse 13, we find out who that character is. For thou hast said in thine heart... I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of Elohim. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. It's the doctrine of the adversary, Satan himself, that says that you can ascend into heaven and bypass the grave because that's exactly what he wanted to do was attain and ascend into the heavens. Right? Look what it says in John chapter 10, verse 1. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that entereth not by the door of the sheephold, but ascendeth up by some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. In fact, we know that's the adversary, right? Trying to make some other way for you to obtain the resurrection. Bypassing the grave. Acts chapter 2 verse 29. Let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David. We all know who King David was. That he is both dead and buried and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. The disciples clearly knew that even King David couldn't bypass the sepulcher. That he was still dead and buried, as is Isaiah, as is Moses, as are the prophets. Acts chapter 2 verse 34. For David is not ascended into the heavens. John chapter 3 verse 13. And no man hath ascended up to heaven. But he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. There is only one. Because there's an order. Yahweh is an Elohim of order and the devil is the creator of chaos. He can't create anything, but he replicates chaos. There's an order of the resurrection. Number one, of course, Yahusha. He's the first fruit, singular, not plural, singular. Number two, those that are Yahushas at his coming. 
That hasn't happened yet. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 23. But every man in his own order, Yahushua the first fruit, afterward they that are Yahushua's at his coming. Then, when? Then cometh the end. Right? So at Yahushua's return, at his return, the order becomes this. Those that sleep, the dead believers in Yahushua, they will rise up first. Then, those alive, the living believers in Yahushua, are caught up together with them, the first resurrection. Number three, we all meet the master in the air. That's glorious. All the dead will rise. The wicked at the second resurrection to judgment and fire to become but stubble and ashes underneath the feet of the righteous. This is a, this is a really good tool for evangelism. Because the wicked often think, oh, well, you know, this is life. I'm going to die and then, you know... I just disappear. It's just, you know, they've got more of a handle on, on a lot of this. You know, they'd be like, oh, well, when I go to the grave, my memory ceases. They got that part right. My mother believes all this stuff. My memory ceases. I'll just cease to exist. So they understand that bit. But they fail to realize that even the wicked will not escape resurrection. Everybody, even the wicked, will be resurrected. It ain't over until it's over. Even the wicked will not escape Yahweh. They will be resurrected. They will stand before him and have to walk through the fires of judgment. But they will not be wearing the cloak of Yahushua's righteousness. They will have their own garments of righteousness that will be filthy and stained. And the fires will turn them to stubble and ashes. And then you will literally, as you're cloaked in the master's garment of purity, walk through the fire and you will endure and you will walk upon their ashes as stubble under your very feet. This is powerful. It's also a great evangelism tool for those that think that they're just going to off themselves and that they don't have any consequences. No, there's consequences. There's consequences. We're all going to be raised, some to judgment and some to glory. No one escapes the resurrection. That actually is quite terrifying to the unbeliever. To us, it's hope. But when you say to the infidel, to the unbeliever, well, yeah, I, I, yeah you may think that, but you do realize you will not escape the resurrection. What? Nobody tells them this. No, no, you, you, you will not escape the resurrection. You're going to be resurrected too. So, you know, it's not over. It's not just this life. You will be resurrected. Malachi chapter 4 verse 2. All that do wickedly shall be stubble, and the day shall cometh when it shall burn them up, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith Yahweh Savar. In the day of the resurrection, when I do this, this is what's going to happen. Whew. 
Nowhere does Scripture say the order changed post-resurrection of Yahusha. Nowhere. The order is still the same. So let's finish up with seven problem texts that people go to in the King Jimmy that's tripped up many, many people. Number one, let's go to the today text. Luke chapter 23, verse 42. You all know about this one. Okay, these are problem texts in the King Jimmy that trip people up. Now remember, Greek has no grammar. Translators had to insert grammar. Greek has no grammar. There's no punctuation and there's no capitalization. So any punctuation and capitalization of the text is a translator's opinion. It is the opinion of man. It is not divine inspiration. So Luke chapter 23, verse 32, 42. And Yahushua said unto him, this is when he's on the tree, Verily I say unto thee today, shalt thou be with me in paradise. See, well, I get to go to heaven when I die. Well, the interpretation really actually depends on where you insert the comma. Because there's no grammar in Greek. I mean, verily I say unto thee, comma, capitalization, today shalt thou be with me in paradise. That's the King James Version. The comma is after the V, and then you've got the capitalization of today. That's quite misleading. What does your Bible say? Is there a comma somewhere and a capitalization of the T? Because then it's saying something totally different. Like, today, you're going to heaven with me in paradise. But, with no comma, or no capital T, or even by moving the comma... After today changes everything, doesn't it? It changes everything. But let's not speculate, because it's not my opinion or your opinion. The answer is actually found in the form of a question. And the question is thus. Did Yahushua go to paradise that day? Did he? Did Yahushua go to paradise Today, that day. Did he? No. He went to the grave. So therefore, the King Jimmy, with the comma after the and the capitalization of T, is not true. If you wanted to insert any grammar, which I wouldn't, but if you wanted to, the better translation would be that you would move the comma to somewhere else. And where would you move the comma? To after today. Not before, after thee, but after today. Verily I say unto you today, like today I'm talking to you, right here while I'm on the tree. Verily I say unto you today, you'll be with me in paradise. But neither of us are going to paradise today because I've got to go to the grave for three days. You're going to be there for a lot longer than that. But eventually, 
When I return and we all, and we get raised, you guys get raised, then, when, then you'll be with me in paradise. Much more sense. Because Yahushua wasn't going to paradise that day or the next day. Not until three days later did he go to paradise. So the King Jimmy and its grammar cannot be true. Does that make sense? Yeah. The grave isn't paradise, is it? No, no way. And Yahushua didn't return from heaven to, to raise from the dead, did he? No. You guys, help me out here. Yahushua didn't return from heaven to raise from the dead. He rose from the grave, having not yet ascended to the Father. John chapter 20, verse 17. So the second text that trips people up, that was the first one. I call it the today text. The second text that trips people up is the transfiguration text. Let's go there. Remember the disciples, they had a vision of Elijah and Moses at the transfiguration. We find it in Matthew chapter 17, verse 9. My wife has got her head in her hand. She's scratching her head. And are, we, are, we, are you with me? Okay, she's with me. All right. And it says thus, Tell the vision to no man until the Son of Man be risen again from the dead. What does it say? It was a vision. (laughs) It was a vision. There we go. Answer to problem. They had a vision. That doesn't mean that that was literally Moses and Elijah. Because Moses and Elijah are where? In the grave. It was a vision. Don't turn a vision into a literal rendering of the text. When the the text tells you it was a vision. Moses and Elijah weren't literally there because they're in the grave. It was a vision. The third problem text is the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. I just said it. The key is that it's a... It's a parable, right? A parable, it means a similitude. A fictitious narrative conveying a moral comparison. It's a fictitious narrative supposed to convey a moral comparison. Abraham's bosom is found in the parable. It's not a real place. There's no second or third witness in Scripture to such a place. In fact, it's not a biblical reality because it's a parable, right? The fourth problem text, I'm having fun with this. Can you tell? It is, though, but it's like peeling the layers off of an onion. You're going to cry. (laughs) Yeah, I love it. (laughs) Some people are like, oh my goodness, I'm going to cry. I thought that was my grandmother talking to me, but it was actually a demon. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, right. It was. Grandma wasn't talking to you. Yes, they're familiar spirits. And I don't have to be afraid anymore of Florence Nightingale. What does that mean? Well, the boarding school I went to was Florence Nightingale's family home. And I was terrified of Florence Nightingale's ghost. 
And we used to, they used to, the senior boys would have to, would take us, like, we'd get up in the middle of the night, and they'd take you through this walk up what we called the Wild Gardens to Nightingale Bench that was a mile up through the forest. And to see who could, I never made it up to the bench. I mean, I was like, I would get like, I don't even know if I made it halfway. I was so terrified. But it was all for nothing. Because she's in the grave. She's not sitting on Nightingale bench scaring little schoolboys. <laughs> Why they didn't tell me this in chapel on Sunday, I could have really been set free from a lot of fear. And now my kids are looking at me like, oh, oh. it's all right, Eliana, it's okay. It's okay. Yahweh is with us. Yes. Oh, the question was, I think we should clarify something, Enoch and Elijah. Well, you're ahead of me because that's point number seven. Okay, let's talk about point number four. You're, you're jumping ahead, see, leave it to the vicar here. The fable that Yahushua went to hell. This is a problem text. It's a fable. The fable that Yahushua went to hell between his death and resurrection. He went to Sheol, the grave, the place of the dead. The later Apostles' Creed made up the fable that he descended into a fiery hell. That was the Apostles' Creed. You see, because sometimes in the King Jimmy, they translate the grave as hell. Right? Sheol. But he didn't go to the fiery depths of hell. He went to the grave. But it was the later Apostle Creed that made up the fable that he descended into a fiery hell. So number five, the fifth text that sometimes troubles this understanding, to be absent from the body. Right? We've all heard that. Is to be present with the Lord. As soon as I die... I get to go to heaven. You've heard it at so many a funeral. Well, to be absent from the body means to be present with the Lord. And the Lord's sitting at the right hand of the Father. Therefore, you'll be sitting on his lap. No, that's not what it says. The Bible doesn't actually say that. We think it says that. Let's see what the Bible says. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8. Isn't that amazing? So many times we think the Bible says something. And then when we actually go back to read it, we go... Oh, yeah, no, it doesn't actually say that. That was a fable. 2 Corinthians 5.8 We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Master. What did it just say? We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Master. Meaning... We would rather be or willing to be. For sure. I would much rather be and be willing to be. When did Paul believe this transition would happen? At death or at the resurrection? When mortality is swallowed up by life and death is swallowed up in victory. Which happens during the resurrection at Yahushua's second coming. To be present with Yahushua without the resurrection is unobtainable. 
To be present with Yahusha without the resurrection is unobtainable. Number six, the sixth point of confusion, King Saul and the witch of Endor. King Saul and the witch of Endor. She was a witch. She was a stinking hook-nosed wench. She was a wenchy witch. She was a necromancer who attempted to bring Samuel up, up from the dead. Not down from heaven, by the way. But since when do we believe the testimony of a witch, a necromancer? No. Saul only perceived, the text says, that it was Samuel. He, he had a perception problem, didn't he? He had a big perception problem in the first place, which is why King David came and became king. He had a major perception problem. This was just one of those perception problems. He perceived that it was Saul. The conversation was only between the witch and the lying spirit that posed as Samuel. It was witchcraft, plain and simple. Praise Yahweh that we have the discernment, because many a believer doesn't. Because Pastors don't teach this because we're peeling the layers off of an onion. Like Paul says, it can make you cry. So finally, number seven, what about Enoch and Elijah? Right? Enoch was translated. It was like Star Trek. He was transported like Mr. Spock. He was transported. No. Yahweh took him from one place to another so he could be escape being slain from the wicked. The wicked would pursue him and Yahweh would literally lift him up and transport him to a different location. And he would escape the wicked that were pursuing him. This is what's going to happen in the tribulation. Yahweh is literally going to transport his faithful people from one location to another. You're all worried about your 4 by 4 and how much diesel you've got. Yahweh says, you're going to have my spirit Because I've done it in the past. And because you read my word, you know it's a sure thing. Enoch, in fact, is listed along with those who died. Noah, Abraham, and Moses in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13. The death he escaped was whilst he was in this world. At the hands of the enemies of Yahuwah. Nowhere does it say that Enoch escaped the grave. It says that he escaped the death of the wicked that were pursuing him, that wanted to kill him, and Yahuwah Mr. Spocked him. He transported him to another location. He escaped death. Doesn't say that he escaped the grave. You see, we make this stuff up, don't we? It's crazy stuff. 
Hebrew, Hebrews 11 verse 13. Yahweh translated him. He transported him from one place to another. And he did that to somebody else, didn't he? He did it to Philip in Acts chapter 8 verse 39. And he's going to be able to do it to you in the tribulation. He will literally transport you. If you have the faith of a mustard seed, you're going to be able to move right over that mountain. I believe it for sure because it's happened before. It's been recorded in the most heavily documented and the only one true thing in this life, the word of Yahweh. Let it be true in every man a liar. So Yahuwah translated, transported him from one place to another, just as he did with Philip in Acts chapter 8 verse 39. And he hid his place of burial, just as he did Moses in Deuteronomy 34. He hid his place of burial. Yes. Elijah, on the other hand, he went up in a whirlwind into heaven. Ah, you say, see, I caught you out. He went up to heaven. Ah, He went to the first heaven where the atmosphere is, where the airplanes fly. The second heaven is where, of course, the planets are. And the third heaven is where Yahweh resides. He was caught up into the atmosphere. Elijah went up into the first heaven where the whirlwinds are found. Where are whirlwinds found? In the atmosphere, right? They're not found up where the planets are, and they're certainly not in the third heaven. The atmosphere is where the whirlwinds are found, and Elijah went up in a whirlwind. He went to the atmospheric heaven, which is the first heaven. The Bible doesn't say Elijah became immortal. Yahweh gave the age. Why did he do it? Elijah was an old codger, and Elisha was his young protege. Yahweh honored Elijah because we live in a kingdom of honor and Yahweh honored Elijah because he knew that he was getting old that he was aged and Yahweh gave the aging Elijah honor by taking him in a whirlwind so his mantle would fall off and be given to his younger protege Elisha yet keeping Elijah's honor intact. Yahweh would never denigrate an aging righteous prophet, but made a way for him to have his mantle passed to the next generation whilst keeping his honor. Because we're to honor those that have gray hair and to stand up as the gray hair come in. But in our society, we warehouse the aged, don't we? No. Yahweh never would do that. Anyway, Elijah actually wrote a letter to King Jehoram years and years after he was taken up in the whirlwind. Many people don't realize that. If you turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 21, verse 12, this is kind of like a major missing piece of the story. Elijah wrote a letter to King Jehoram. And this was years after he was taken up in a whirlwind. The letter was written some years after Jehoram had slain his brethren and before, this is key, he became sick and distressed. Remember Jehoram came really sick and he became distressed? 
and then he later had a disease. This actually proves Elijah was still alive and living, yet in another place. Um, 2 Chronicles 21 verse 12. Elijah wrote a letter to King Jehoram years and years after he was taken up in a whirlwind. And the letter was written some years after Jehoram had slain his brethren and before he had become sick and distressed. So this actually proves Elijah was still alive and living yet in another place. So all that to say this today. I've had a very deep and powerful and impacting week. Yeah, over the past months, to tell you the truth, I have and many of us have gone through times that maybe haven't been super full of happiness. But I tell you what, in the midst of it all, I have sought meaning. I have sought meaning. And in seeking that meaning, I have found such purpose, such purpose in the life, the simple life that I have of the expectation that there's people out there awaiting to hear this message. And then they've responded. And then for you too, that there is expectation and people awaiting to hear the message. And then last night for me, and the, 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 the in-family joke is, you know, not to mention any names, but we never thought. We always wondered. But then to be there and to see such fruit in such a short time. And that is the congregation of joy and the righteous. And then a hope that bypasses and surpasses my life. To see a young life with such a strong name and strong hopes and expectations. And it's all because we're all seeking meaning. We're not seeking happiness. We sure would like happiness. But even in unhappy circumstances and situations, there is meaning there. And with that, we find the true blessed hope. The true blessed hope. I'm just a byproduct of my experiences. But I choose to find meaning in each and every one of my experiences. Even when they make me unhappy. And if everybody could do that, we'd all be in a much, much better place. So I have four points I want to just touch on before we close. Yahweh wants you and I. To have purpose. He wants us to have meaning in life. Attaining it increases our overall well-being. It increases our life satisfaction. He wants that for us. It improves our mental and physical health. It truly does. When you look for meaning in everything, it improves your mental health. It improves your physical health. It improves your resiliency against disease. It enhances your self-esteem. And it decreases 
chances of depression and oppression. And some people are just oppressed and depressed because they are seeking happiness rather than the meaning. But sometimes to find the meaning, we've got to go back, don't we? And that's the problem. Going back, sometimes people are just forward, but sometimes by going back, we can find the meaning. We can find the meaning. Because people that are pursuing happiness, they haven't attained it. Happiness is out there, right? They're always going forward. But those of us that are seeking meaning in life, we understand that to truly find that meaning, sometimes we have to go back and correct stuff back there. And that brings me to this. It's not something I was going to say, but I had an employee this week that did the dirty on me several years ago. Really did. And um, I saw on Instagram that that ex-employee had been in my school when I wasn't there and was getting their hair done. And I was so upset and I was angry at this very moment. But then another employee came in to me and said, oh, I ran into that person today, and they want to come and see you. And I'm like, they do? Well, why? Well, they, they've gone through a lot in their life, and they want to make restitution for the wrongs that they've done. And I was like, oh, well, don't say how angry I am right now. Let's put this on the back burner, because I'm always up for restoration. And if you say how angry I am about this present situation, then they're not going to come in. So I said, so yeah, just stand they can come in. So this person I hadn't seen in years came in, and I didn't make it easy for them. And they literally sat and apologized to me for the way that they finished things, which wasn't right. And they knew it, but it had troubled them for years. And they knew that they would not be able to move on in their life unless they came and did the face-to-face. And of course, I welcomed it. We embraced. And I said, now you're going to be able to go on and pursue great things. Because now you're set free from what troubled you. Because I'd been walking down the street and the person seen me coming. And they're like, and that happens like, to lots of people when they see me. <laughs> they really do. They say, oh, you're crazy. It's him. It's all over the time. It's like everywhere I go. That's not really, but it's quite often. (laughs) But that person won't have to do that anymore because they went back to go forward. And we all have to do that, right? It's pretty amazing. And this all happened this week. That was in the midst of the funeral and the baby dedication, right in the midst there. So I'm trying to find meaning in that too that brings me to this. On top of all that, the single-minded pursuit of happiness is ironically leaving you less happy. People that are pursuing happiness are miserable gits. They really are. It's crazy. It's the very pursuit of happiness world that thwarts your happiness. Forget happiness. Pursue meaning and then you'll obtain happiness. Right? Forget happiness. 
Pursue meaning. If you pursue happiness, it's the pursuit of happiness that thwarts your very happiness. What a conundrum. Embrace the truth. Just as the prophet says. Embrace the truth and be set free from the fear of death. And the pursuit of happiness. Be set free from the pursuit of happiness. Embrace the meaning of your life. Yahweh wants you to be resilient. Because if you're resilient, you'll be able to endure anyhow. Because you'll have meaning. Because sometimes the way Yahweh does it is not going to bring you and I happiness. But he wants to work through the how to bring you the meaning. And finally, I hope that all of this long-winded teaching, and I do apologize, enables you to become conscious of the responsibility you bear toward a human being who awaits for you in the future. There is a human being that is awaiting for you in the future. And there is also an unfinished work in your life that awaits you. And the only way you can meet that human being and finish the good work that he has started with you is laying aside your pursuit of happiness and seeking meaning even when you're unhappy. Because that means that you can be mightily used by Yahuwah because you can transcend your present circumstances. And I have been able to do that And that's my testimony. And it hasn't been one of happiness. But it has been one of the most deep meaning in my life. These past, past seasons. What a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful yah that we have. That he knows what's best for us. Yet the world tells us to look in another direction. It's the meaning that we serve somebody greater than ourselves, our awesome king. Ezekiel knew that. And that those inhabitants of Jerusalem, they had a choice to make. Pursue happiness when Nebuchadnezzar was coming down on them, when they were going to have hooks in their noses and be chained all the way to Babylon. Try and find happiness in that. Or try and find meaning in that. And you can become a Daniel. You can become a Daniel. You can become a Jeremiah. You can become a great man and woman used by Yahweh. Because you pursue meaning even in that chains of bondage. Amen? Amen. Praise Yahweh.